All right. Hello to all of our lovely listeners. You are listening to the Health and Wellness Podcast, Let Beauty Guide You with your host, Chelsea Keen. And it is my absolute pleasure to introduce Ariva Wild. We are going to be talking about <laughs> shame, sex, and power. And she is the first repeat guest on Let Beauty Guide You. Um, and I'm so excited to have her back. So welcome, mm. Riva. Thank you so much. Yes, I love being here. And those are always my favorite topics to talk about. So I'm very in. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Um, so just to give our listeners a little refresher, Reva Wild is an erotic embodiment and radical relationship coach with a BA in sexuality, relationship, and family studies, uh, coming from six years of experience as a teacher of yoga, embodied dance, shaking medicine, and contact improv. Reva offers a deeply somatic approach to her transformational experiences in sacred sexuality and transforming body shame. So good. Influenced by her trainings in energy work and Reiki mastery, as well as her trauma literacy, her ceremonies incorporate and include the visceral lived experiences of being human with pain, a body, emotions, and stories with the esoteric and mythical beyond that activates our ecstatic life current. And she currently resides. Where are you currently in the world, Riva? I am on Lake Atitlan in Guatemala. So that is my home. <laughs> Got it. Okay. I, I for some reason I thought you had moved again, um, and so I was I was wondering where you were, but you are still in Guatemala. Okay. Amazing. Yes. Amazing. Well, welcome back. Thank you. And it was so great to get your message the other day. Um, you know, last time you were on the podcast, we talked about being sexy and shameless and connecting to our life force and erotic energy. And today you would like to discuss shame, sex, and power. So can you say more mm -hmm. about that? Yes. So one of the things I was starting to kind of like recognize even deeper, starting to get another integrated level in my own experience is this recognition of where sexuality and this ability to potentially create life and this recognition that like all of us come from sex. I'll just let that part sink in for a moment because that's something that as a sentence, we don't necessarily hear. It's not something that we hear growing up. It's not something that we often get connected with, but it's, it's the truth. Like our Genesis is from sex. Every single person, all of you who are listening to this are able to listen to this <laughs> because some people had sex at one point in time and now you're here. And this disconnection from our Genesis, from sexuality, from where we've come from is oftentimes disconnecting us from our power our sense of pleasure, our sense of agency, our sense of like, I have the power to make choices in my life the way that I'm wanting to, from how I'm feeling, from what's alive in me, from what's deeply connected to my soul, my heart, my essence, my, my wants and needs and desires. And where shame has been one of the biggest tools that has been used by kind of uh, the overarching cultural structures to disconnect us from our power and disconnect us from our sexuality 
because I imagine every single human being listening to this has experienced shame around sex or a desire that they have in sexuality that's made them feel disconnected from their body or their choice or their sense of being able to flirt with life, with people. And yeah, like being with like the devastatingness for me that that is. Like it feels devastating that as human beings and especially women, though there's a particular flavor that men have experienced too, but particularly women being disconnected from like their their yonis, their vaginas, their clitorises. Like there is so much pleasure available to us at all times. And there's so much power in choosing that pleasure. Like here's an invitation I'd love to offer to all the humans here with clitorises. As you're walking, focus on your clitoris and just see what happens. This is something we're not taught to do. It's like, We'll be in like meditative spaces and it's like focus on your hands or your hips or your glutes or your feet. But there's this entire space of our body that we have been taught to be completely disconnected from. Here's another question. How many of you didn't know like the anatomical terms for your vagina or your penis or your genitalia like before you were like, 14 or 20 <laughs> or 30. <laughs> I've met women who didn't know um, the term vagina was in relationship to um, what they'd learned to call their flower. Wow. Like shame has had such this intense impact on how we experience sex and sexuality in our bodies mm. to the point where like we can talk about our hands and we can talk about our eyes and we can talk about our knees and we can talk about our glutes even. And that's kind of like, okay, because of fitness and how we've related to that. But we can't talk about our genitalia, even though that's the way that we come to be alive on this planet. That's the way that we come to be here. Yeah. So. This is this is my this is my stake or my what's it called my soapbox that I'm standing on right now. That's like, <laughs> goodness gracious, shame has disconnected us from body parts, and we can't even say the names without parts of us being like, oh my god, she just said clitoris on a podcast. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it makes me laugh because as you're saying that, I'm just thinking about all of us playing around as kids, right? And when we're kids, of course, we're not ashamed of our genitalia. So we're like playing around with it, you know, like we're <laughs> experimenting. Mm -hmm. And and then there's that moment where we get told that's not okay. You can't mm -hmm. do that in public. Yeah. And it's like, <clears throat> and then the meaning we create from that is just so astronomical and has such an astronomical mm -hmm. impact on the way that we relate to our bodies and, and what's okay. Um, and if it weren't for that, like societal rule, that societal story, you know, we would just be free. <laughs> we would just be free if it weren't for that story. Um, and for me, you know, it's like, I've been thinking a lot about this lately is story is everything. We all think, do, and act according to 
the stories we buy into. So can you say a little bit more about the power stories hold over our experience of life and particularly our sexual life? Definitely. Yeah, because like the stories that we hold shape what we believe we have the power to do or not do. It will shape and create kind of like boundaries around what we think is possible. So when we receive a story when we're little, and by the way, like scientifically, it is very, very common. Like we're looking at like 70% of children will be excited about their genitalia because it feels good. Like this is what these parts of our bodies were built for. Um, so it's very common for us when we're young to, to play, to explore, to be curious about other people's genitalia. It's just, it's very common and very human. Yet so much of this kind of like shame story that we experienced, the, there's something wrong, there's something bad don't let people see don't let people touch don't let people like um know that you have this part of you don't let people see you touching this part of you where in public you can touch your hands all over the place or your face or your legs and that's completely fine and i think one of the things with kind of like the story and what we need to talk about around sexuality is there's been so much trauma that our culture has experienced for the past like 4,000 years around sexuality. There's so much pain and experiences of not being able to say no of, yeah, being touched when we haven't wanted to. And that's also been like a deeply profound and um, painful experience that many children have experienced. So then there's this, trying from the shame culture to protect us from trauma that's like just put sexuality in a box just hide it that has so many of us like in this story not only from our own experiences and stories but from the cultural story of this is wrong and bad you're either a slut or you're a prude where there's no real way to connect with like the quote-unquote rightness or alignment of sexuality where we get caught then in not knowing how to engage. And then this applies to like our flirtation, our attraction, our connection, our communication. Like this goes into all these different aspects because sexuality is such a fundamental piece of our human experience. So those stories, say if I have a story Actually, I did have this story um, that uh, touching myself is bad. You're not supposed to do that. Then as I grow older, there's still this kind of like shame story that I was working with in my early 20s around self-pleasure. It took me a long time to choose to go and invest in toys, to choose to go and get kind of like healthier um, options to use. Cause like when I was a teenager, there was so much shame that I was using like, Oh gosh, very unhygienic things <laughs> to engage in self-pleasure. And I actually got infections from it. Mm. Um, and I was afraid to tell my mom why, but like that story, if I'd been given a story of like self-pleasure is deeply okay, but the culture has a lot of shame around it. So it probably makes sense for you to do it in your room very different experience of my body, very different experience of 
what's okay and what's not okay. Mm -hmm. And those stories go into like other layers. Like if sexuality is bad and wrong, I'm not allowed to flirt with someone I'm sexually attracted to. If sexuality is bad and wrong, then um, it's shameful for me to have desires that are outside of the norm of sexuality, which I think a lot of us are starting to shift from. But there's always, I imagine, because of the kind of um, evangelical Christian story of like purity culture that we've received, mm-hmm. that there's this kind of like shaping around the stories of what's okay and what's not okay around sexuality that doesn't offer the full spectrum of what sensations and play and story that we love to engage in, in the realms of sexuality. Yeah. It's uh story is everything. So when, when you are doing work with your clients and let's say you've isolated maybe a specific story where, or, you know, you're going into their past and you've isolated a specific story they have about sexuality being bad and wrong. What what's the kind of methodology and tools you use to break free? Mm-hmm. Like awareness is is big, obviously. Like just being aware of this of it as a story and not fact. But how do you how do you break free from that? Mm-hmm. Well, there's two parts to my methodology, and a part of it goes back to um, a method that was used by Carl Jung called aspecting. It's like inner parts work. Um, internal family systems has. Um, some kind of elements of this. Um, But there was this kind of process and this process I engage in my clients with of having a conversation with the part of us that's holding that story and recognizing that any part of us that's holding a story is usually doing it for protective reasons. Uh, One of the biggest stories we work with in this work and with my clients is shame. Um, whether it's shame around erectile dysfunction or shame around desiring things that are more kinky and kind of beyond the story that we've received in sexuality or feeling shame around our bodies and feeling like no one will love us because of the body that we come in. Aspecting brings that kind of like peace that's holding the story forward and we get to have a conversation with shame and have this kind of like alchemical, almost shamanic, but deeply kind of meditative and also emotionally releasing experience of being able to, as ourselves, as all of our little selves, express to shame what we've experienced, what it stopped us from living, how we've been impacted in our relationship with our body or our desires, or just like our experience of being alive. And then in that, shifting perspective and like becoming shame like imagine we're slipping into the skin of shame and inviting the story or recognition that shame before they took on the sword of shame was actually a protector specifically protecting our social standing in community this is all about what like shame's kind of shtick she's like Mm -hmm. i want you to belong i want you to belong so hard i want you to have everything that you need and that you want but she's received the story from the external culture of unless you fit this size, this coloring, this kind of hair, this kind of background, this kind of personality, like the tiny, impossible, non-existent box of what perfection is. Perfection Mm -hmm. and shame are best friends. (laughs) 
then there's this experience of, I can't have what I deeply desire. I can't have my dreams. The little Chelsea or the little Riva that I'm protecting will never receive this. And so she protects us from the worst pain that she can imagine, which is rejection from our deepest dreams. Mm. So she'll come up when we're wanting to flirt with that really attractive person who's kind of, we think maybe flirting with us, but like they could never be flirting with us. That's a story, (laughs) but like that comes up and then shame brings her kind of visceral experience into your body to stop you. But when we can have that powerful reconciliation of recognizing where underneath shame, there is so much love. So much love for us belonging, so much love for us having our dreams, but also this story that it's impossible and fearing us recognizing that it's impossible because of the social stories shame has received to be like, oh no, it's impossible. I will hide this from you so that you don't believe that your deepest, most treasured dreams can come true. And the only way I've learned how to do this is to make you feel really bad so that you don't go in the direction of those things. We start to have this deep alchemical process in our system of recognizing shame as a signal that I really care about belonging. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's, it's so powerful to be able to identify the shame and the stories and the ego mind, if you will as our protector. Like it really is, it is part of our survival mechanism. It's why, it's why we have stories. (laughs) It's how we survive and navigate the world. So if we can actually bring love and appreciation for its, um, its purpose, its function, its machinery, you know, then we can, acknowledge and lovingly let it go. And then, you know, once we're outside of all our past-based stories, there's really nothing. And then on the other side of nothing is anything. So being able to navigate stories when they serve us and also remove them when they don't, I think is the real, the real practice of mastery. Can can you say more about Mm-hmm. Um, shame and its relationship to trauma. You know, there's one thing to have um, a, like a mm-hmm. story about, um, you know, sexuality being bad and wrong in some way. And then is there a distinction between that shame and trauma or is trauma separate from shame? Like how would you kind of mm. define those things? Yeah, I think that where there is shame, there's always trauma, even if it's a micro trauma. Mm. One of the things that um, I have deeply come to understand is that we are all traumatized by this global culture that makes it not okay for us to be ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's ideas and stories about what it means to be human, have a very narrow right wrong perfectionism story around what it means to be human, what it means to be a good citizen, what it means to be a good mother, what it means to be a good child, what it means to be a good person that often has this space of taking away our full agency and power and connection to aliveness and all of the different facets of us. 
-hmm. of our complexity of our humanity. And definitely there are a lot of actions in the world that are more aligned with like juiciness and kindness and compassion and care and uh, not re-traumatizing and continuing the traumatizing stories. Yet when it comes to shame, so often it, it's tied in with the trauma of it's not okay for me to be who I am, to have responded the way I've responded, to feel the way I feel, to want what I want, and to be who I am. Mm -hmm. And then for those who have experienced um, more significant or acute traumatic experiences, shame then has often come in as the story to continue that sense of like, you're not allowed to feel what you're feeling. You're supposed to be happy. You're supposed to be feeling good about this. You're supposed to be feeling this about this. And more often than not, trauma comes in from this experience of either like deep fear moments, like when we've experienced um, trauma in the form of, say, like a car accident. Um, there's like that initial trauma that moves through the body of like, oh, like I've been hurt or I've been in this really scary experience where then our trauma response comes in to try to kind of suppress some of our emotional and sensory feelings so that we can take a longer time to digest the experience instead of having to take it all in at once. Mm. Uh, in kind of those bigger experiences of trauma, it's there being too much sensation or too much happening in your system than you can like track, experience, handle, and be with at once. And usually it's because it's connected to pain. It's connected to something painful or even harmful to our system or our bodies or our experience. So then because of that kind of like act of suppressing that our trauma responses bring in, it creates this space for us to feel things over a longer period of time. But shame kind of comes in and can even kind of like stop us from trying to feel what we're feeling or experience what we're experiencing because it's trying to stop us from being wrong or bad. And we've been taught that some of the feelings or expressions or emotions or senses when we're either going back and healing a traumatic experience or kind of like healing kind of like the line that the story has led for us or like that there's shame wrapped around the type of trauma that we experienced and in kind of like sexual trauma and for myself with the sexual trauma, like I've experienced, um, which is very common. I just want to offer um, to anyone listening that it is very common for definitely women, but also for men to experience various different kinds of trauma around sexuality mm -hmm. that there's this shame of, I'm not supposed to be the one who got harmed of I did something wrong because I was harmed because the social story in kind of like our like uh, outer cultures has that essence and that flavor of you're not supposed to let this happen. You're mm -hmm. supposed to say, no, you're supposed to do these things. If this happened to you, then a part of it is your fault. Yeah. And teasing those pieces apart is some of the deeper work in reclaiming our sexuality is kind of looking at where is the kind of like micro trauma of living in this culture that shames sexuality coming in for our 
kind of shame trauma combo? And where are those more acute moments where we've experienced sexuality being harmful or scary or um, not in our autonomous choice Mm -hmm. to reclaim our power around sexuality, where there's been a culture of, yeah, like, yeah, like a rape culture that's not just related to sexuality, but can even be extended to like the extraction of the earth and the way that there's been this mentality of just taking what you need and what you want and that if you're in power then you just take and to reclaim power to actually be in that sense of connectedness to our choice and in alignment with what is deeply loving for myself and for those around me in a way that doesn't sacrifice myself or sacrifice other mm-hmm. It's, it's complex. Like there's a lot of different pieces in that. Um, but I guess the last thing that I'll say about shame and trauma is that, yeah, they often come together and there's some teasing a part of both of them and also seeing how do they interact together and what is that interaction and how can we start unfolding the power that's usually hidden underneath kind of those trauma stories that are then trying to protect us from anything ever happening again mm-hmm. that will often stop us from living the life that we really want because it's afraid of these past experiences continuing and how shame will lovingly piggyback on that is like I can make you feel bad and wrong so you never get rejected I can do that I can help you with your social standing this is what I'm here for <laughs> mm-hmm. but that it's a very painful um, experience for us yeah, as you're as you're sharing, I've just the phrase comfortably numb pops into my head. Um mm-hmm. because what you're pointing to, I feel really points to, you know, it's it's deeply uncomfortable and hard and upsetting to come alive sometimes. Like being alive mm-hmm. and really feeling it is it is something to face (laughs) like being disconnected from your body and your erotic energy and everything is very comfortable and to get present to how disconnected um, as a society we are is, is deeply, deeply uh, troubling in some ways as it is exciting um, to, to feel yourself. So um yeah, can can you say more about kind of maybe why as on a societal level we're almost clinging on to those trauma stories and wanting to stay comfortable in them? Mm-hmm. I have deep experience with this. And anyone who has any kind of um deeply south south soothing, oh my goodness, self-soothing um behaviors where self-soothing behaviors are happening daily, whether um, it's through our kind of like relationship with food or our relationship with um, screens or even kind of like getting lost in books or video games, Um, even in our work where we can kind of like soothe our anxiety through um, doing our work, that there's this kind of like underneath sense of if I don't do this thing, I won't be okay. 
and where our mind will loop these stories of if you feel this thing, if you choose not to self-soothe and choose to really feel, it'll be so painful that you won't be able to handle it. You will go, uh, this is one of the fears I had. You'll go crazy if you can feel everything that you can feel. You will um, not be okay. You won't be able to function in society. You won't be able to function in your work. You won't be able to function in your family. You'll just like fall apart. And then it becomes easier for us to choose the numbing behaviors. Because there's that story that if we feel what we feel, we won't be able to hold it. We won't be able to handle it. Mm. And every time that story has come up for me, because it still comes up, the part of me that's like, oh, I could just totally go get lost in some like fantasy romantic Netflix and just like (laughs) disappear off the planet for uh, an amount of time. Or like in my history, the part of me that was so afraid of facing my feelings that I would eat until I felt gross enough in my body because I'd literally eaten too much that like my body was responding with this sense of like, oh, this hurts. And then I was like, oh, this is why I feel awful because my belly hurts. Like there was that numbing to the point of trying to have a reason for what I was feeling. Mm-hmm. But even now when those kinds of like stories or desires come in, when I go into an emotional activation or release process and like everyone can do this, just start shaking. This is one of the most easeful ways that our body releases tension and releases the story of I've been chased by a lion, even if the lion was just the anxiety about work and life and the world and all the things that we feel anxious about that are like physically right in front of us, the way that our Mm -hmm. biology is built to be like predators and like the predators are like anxiety (laughs) or like a paper that's due tomorrow or Mm -hmm. um, a deadline for taxes being done or something like that. When we can reset the nervous system, shaking is great or like screaming into a pillow. It's highly recommended to have tantrums. There's a story that we get too old for tantrums, but I think that what's actually happened is that we've suppressed that part of our emotional release mechanism that children are very connected with. And they're like, I wanted something and it didn't happen. My entire system is in rage. Like my system is in that space. And I imagine a lot of people listening would have connection to that rage for the different ways that human beings and children and parts of the earth are treated around the world. Mm-hmm. the different pains and traumas and tortures like there's a part of us that probably all the time would love to have a tantrum about that but we're not supposed to we shut that down we shut down that kind of like emotional response but it's honestly highly recommended and honestly feels fun sometimes I have a pleasure tantrums where I'm just like lying on my back in bed hitting my hands in my feet and going, <laughs> and it actually brings up a lot of pleasure through the body because of the hormones that you're releasing through the movement. Um, mm. When we sound and make sound that impacts our entire vagus nerve kind of through the back of the spine, which yeah. then kind of like connects into the genitalia, it connects into like a lot of different organ points. It's a big release space for us to sound. There's been a lot of shame around sound and our voices and pleasure and even just speaking our truth Mm -hmm. and taking the time to say yes to an emotional release process 
to allow yourself to punch pillows and scream into them and cry your eyes out, whether it's for a big, big thing or something small that's coming up. This can be a deeply powerful way to kind of integrate those different parts and pieces and allow for that to move through instead of continuing to be stuck. And when I choose to do that, I feel a shit ton better <laughs> than the times when I choose not to do that. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it takes ca- causing yourself in, in a way to allow yourself to, to feel. Um, oh my gosh, there's so many things I could say to that. And, you know, one of them is I know in my, in my dance classes as a Nia teacher, sounding is part of the practice. And for me, it has been a journey to be able to sound in my classes and encourage others to do so, you know, because it is this weird thing around shame. It's like, it's so um, not typical to sound like we, you know, when we're on the train, you know, be quiet. And it's all about like looking good and looking like you're normal, right? So it's really like a practice of breaking free from what is quote unquote uh, normal and acceptable. And the other thing I, I want to say is um, I thought it was interesting what you brought up about um, like tantrums. And I feel like especially women have been so conditioned to, to just, there's so much shame around women and anger like so much shame. And I've been really coming to terms with this recently is like, anytime I get angry, I am so ashamed of myself. Like if I'm like outwardly angry, it's like, that is so bad and wrong. And it's not, but it's just like how, how, you know, we as women have been taught to be, you know, being a good woman is being maternal and gentle and, you know, the archetype of good woman. Um, so can you say more about how, you know, anger and, and wanting to tantrum and feeling those kind of demonized emotions, how that, how stifling that impacts us in, in total? Yeah, definitely. Because like our anger is that deep visceral experience of, I want this and it's not here. Mm-hmm. I want to be treated with kindness right now and it's not here. I wanted to get the promotion and it went to the man who has been sitting on his ass while I've been like working my butt off to be able to show up for this company. It's the I wanted this and it's not here expression. And when we disconnect ourselves from like the power that's in our desire, our anger then has been taught, especially in like a culture that has so much violence has been taught to come out as a weapon towards people. And we've been taught to feel ashamed that like any of our anger, any of our, I deeply want this is kind of like a problem for other people. Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of discernment in that, that I really care about. Because there's a difference in expressing our anger, being like, I'm angry and I wanted this and it's not here and I'm frustrated and bringing that out. Mm -hmm. 
and then being like, you fucked up and you're a problem. And like the yeah. way that we can direct our energy um, mm-hmm. and our anger specifically, like, like, like bullets, like weapons. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also where women have been taught to then continue to stifle it. Cause it's like, I don't know how to do one and not the other mm-hmm. because our culture hasn't taught us this, which is why engaging in anger practices with ourselves, with no one around in our rooms, telling the kiddos, you know what, I'm angry and I'm going to go into my room and have a tantrum. I've done this actually (laughs) before um, with preschool. I was like, you know what, I'm experiencing anger and I'm going to go into the quiet room and I'm going to have a little bit of a, uh, and then I'll come back and I'll be happy. It was such an amazing experience for these toddlers to witness. And Then I had toddlers ask me, they're like, I'm angry. They stole my toy. I need a minute. Can I go have a tantrum in the room? Yes. Wow. Come with me. (laughs) Let's go so that you don't hit someone or direct that anger out. But you can Mm. be with the intensity of I wanted this experience and it got taken away or I couldn't have it. And being able to recognize that there is deep safety in expressing our anger and in letting that deep, hot, intense, I wanted this and it's not here, come through our body and to shake and shudder through us. There have been times when I have been angry and gone into an emotional release process and it's alchemized into like deep turn on for like, I wanted this and I still want it. It's not here, but I want it. And like getting to play Mm -hmm. with that where before it was just this sense of like, my boundaries were crossed or I'm not receiving what I need. It gets a chance to alchemize. But for so many of us, like taking that choice, like I imagine, though I hope something different will emerge, that of all the beloved human beings who listen to this, maybe one of you will go and try to have a tantrum. (laughs) Because there's also shame around going and feeling what we're feeling. There's also that story that comes in that it's like, it would just be easier to not do that. We don't have to do that. But the choice to choose to go be with the power of our emotions and our feelings and our desires and our wants and the grief that we've had over our lifetimes of like not necessarily receiving that or not knowing how to receive that or it being challenging to receive that choosing to go into those emotional processes is life-changing when i remembered and was like retaught it's like you can scream into pillows you know i was like what this is what we do this is amazing and i've probably screamed in pillows two to three times a week since (laughs) this week has been particularly emotional so it's been every day sometimes multiple times a day wow and choosing to go into that practice that practice gives me deeper access to my aliveness, Mm -hmm. to my pleasure, to my joy. Like right now this week, um, as Chelsea knows, like I'm working through grief. Grief is um, very present for me and my family. And there's been this beautiful experience of feeling the parts of me that want to numb and then automatically making that powerful choice to go and emotionally release to cry, to scream into pillows, um, to ask why God, to um, 
be in the fetal position and freeze myself into letting that then unfreeze, like really letting my body move and shake and scream and cry with the grief then has also given me access to like the joy of making love with my partner and being with the deep aliveness of this lake that I live on and choosing to thoroughly enjoy a delicious dinner that I got to share with a beloved friend. Like I couldn't have taken in those moments of joy and pleasure and accessing my power without also choosing to feel these feelings because I would have numbed myself to all of the feelings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it. If you don't feel one thing, you don't feel anything. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's so great. I think like the distinction of experiencing your anger, allowing yourself to experience the anger and also being responsible for it. Like I'm going to go to a room so that I don't get into this blame story of like, you know, because none of it, I think like that's another reason why anger is so uh, demonized is when we don't like to receive it from other people either. Right. Like we're, we're deeply aware of how painful it is to receive anger from others. And so, yeah, just, just like having a practice for it. It really is a practice of I'm experiencing anger. I'm experiencing grief. I am experiencing all of these emotions and I'm going to feel them and do it in a way that is really healthy. Um, so I think you painted a really beautiful picture of, of what that looks like and how we, how we can do that. Um, yeah. Is there, is there anything else you wanted to say about sex, shame, and power today, Riva? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I'll tie in that kind of like emotional thread into shame will stop us from leaning into these practices, really feeling our emotions and really allowing ourselves to get access to the pleasure that's possible when we also feel where kind of moments of pain have had us freeze the waters of our emotionality have had us stop ourselves from feeling more, even though there's a part of us that's like, oh, I just want this deeply pleasurable, joyful, loving life. And we've been taught that pain doesn't exist in that life, that um, trauma doesn't exist in that life. What I want to offer is it's actually going through and really feeling what's alive underneath that frozenness, that numbness we've been taught to start accessing more of that feeling because that gives us more access to the joy and the pleasure as much as that feels counterintuitive to what we've Mm -hmm. been taught by this culture. It's actually what allows for the entirety of the intense, emotional, beautiful, complex, wild, and strange experience that it is to be human and be alive to come through. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a huge piece in recognizing where that shame and that numbing has been created around a place of deep pleasure and power for us, which is where we came from, which is our genesis as human beings. In many ways, it's also how all of our food is here, is through this sexual energy, is through sex and sexuality, and through that kind of like merging 
of different pieces that makes kind of like the penetration of seeds into the soil of the earth that then brings forward the corn that then has more of its seeds fall in to penetrate the earth to then seed and yeah have fields of corn corn is deeply sacred here in in guatemala and for the guatemalan peoples and like this recognition in all of our plants all of our animals and um any of the choices that we make around like what is food for us what is nourishment for us is also deeply connected to this um, sacred erotic thread to sex we are all here because of this and our desires around sex and sexuality and play and freedom and pleasure and connection are deeply valuable. And it's those dreams and desires that I believe can build the world that we're actually wanting to live in and the life that we're really wanting to live while we're here and while we're alive. Beautiful. So well said. So well said. Thank you so much, Reva. Um, before we go, would you like to share um, about your coaching program and the details of it and how our listeners can get in touch with you and, and what you're up to lately in yes. the world of, of work? Yeah. Yes. So you loves can find me on Instagram. It's probably the easiest place to find me right now at erotic embodied. And you can also look up eroticembodied.com and you can get connected in with some of the group programs and uh, deeper kind of immersions that I do in my coaching. Uh, right now I'm running the sacred erotic um, embodied immersion and it's a super juicy 12-week experience of diving into kind of these stories around body shame and how we've been taught to feel disconnected from our genitalia, from our breasts, from our bodies, our bellies, our thighs, just like looking at where we've been taught to be disconnected from our bodies and how to reconnect, learning deeper about different sacred sexuality practices with breath, with movement, with sound, and with the histories to start connecting deeper with this genesis that we all come from. And also to get more into this space of being able to claim our desires and our wants in sexuality so that we can start playing with flirtation and attraction. And we do whole two weeks on flirtation and attraction. And how do we like lean into actually attracting the relationships that we're wanting to experience, whether it's lovers or friendships or playmates, what we're wanting to experience and to really fully bring the body to life and alchemizing kind of, as I was speaking to shame, judgment, guilt, blame, shame, and fear. And getting all of those kind of like alchemized and transitioned in our system so that we can really feel a deeper embodiment. I, uh, I also work with men and do sexuality coaching with men. I have a team of masculine coaches and we all do some deep dive, really powerful work. Um, we've had men come in with um, erectile dysfunction and like struggles kind of like emotionally with their experiences of sexuality and they are now experiencing erections for the first time in two to three years of their life wow. so it's very exciting awesome. um and with that then i also work with couples and have had some really beautiful and powerful experiences with couples so if you're interested in working with me you can also find me on facebook at reva wilds or at my website uh, eroticembodied.com and you can send me a message there and i will get back to you right now 
Um, probably as you are listening to this, I'll have at least one spot, though my spots <laughs> vary with time. Um, but yeah, send me a message and I can get you on the wait list if nothing else. Amazing. Amazing. And I know I've asked you this before, but last but not least, what are three ways you are letting beauty guide you in life right now, especially with everything going on in your life? You're moving through deep grief. You've been mm-hmm. sick in the last two weeks. <laughs> oh, goodness. How have you been? How have you been letting beauty guide you in this particularly turbulent moment? Mm-hmm. Feeling everything I'm feeling and really letting myself feel the richness of how every emotion for me points back to loving something. Whether it's loving something about life or loving something about my sensation or loving something about being human, it always does actually point back to love, even the deepest griefs and angers and frustrations. So that's that's a big one. Um, Colors. Colors would be number two, like sunset colors, the color of flowers, deep earthy greens, the the blues of this lake, even like taking in the different colors that I choose to wear and just really being with the joy that that is color in life. Mm. And I think the last piece is just letting the thread of pleasure really guide me and noticing if there's resistance that when I can lean into the resistance, there's usually more pleasure hidden behind it. And that there's something really beautiful about the protectors that come in with resistance. They're like, oh no, don't feel that. And it's like, but yes, I can. And <laughs> being able to be in the deeper feeling of this life, there's something really beautiful about really choosing and bravely choosing to feel this life fully. Absolutely. Well, Riva, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing yourself, for sharing yourself authentically and fully. And you are just the dictionary definition of aliveness. And <laughs> I just I just adore you. So thank you so much oh. for being here. And and to our listeners, thank you so much for listening. Um, you know, I I have had the pleasure of getting to know you through this this format. Um, but you know, certainly down the line, I would love to work with you as well, because there's always something to explore and expand on. And, um, I think you're a real, a gateway to transformation. So Mm. thank you everyone for being here on the podcast. And that is a wrap. Thank you for listening to let beauty guide you. My name is Chelsea Keen. And you were just listening to erotic embodiment coach Riva Wild. All of her information is in the show notes, episode details, etc. And if you like this episode, please be sure to leave a review, follow, subscribe, etc. I really appreciate the support. Thanks again, everyone. And until next time.